0: belonging for the win Good! Hello and welcome to Lockdown Women's basketball. I'm your host Howard Magdal reminding you you can follow us on Twitter at WBV. you can hear various people talking about women's festival, whether it's Dave Ibrahim, the great Erica Ayala, Amy Aldebert, almost every single day. So make sure you are rating, reviewing us, and most importantly, subscribing, because (laughs) there's been a lot going on in the world of women's festival, that's for sure. Uh Lockdown Women's Festival is brought to you by CBDMD. CBDMD gives you the support you need to make it through the day. CBD Freeze and Recover is an outstanding duo of topical products. Make sure that you get 25% off your next order at cbdmd.com just by saying promo code NBA at checkout. That's promo code NBA. And somebody who is extremely good at recovering, somebody who has managed to uh, do it all uh, throughout her career so far and has a chance to do that next is our guest today, and that is the great Erica McCall latest edition to, I, I think latest edition, there haven't been any other Mystics editions since you, right, to the Washington Mystics. It's tough to keep track, right, <laughs> Everything. everything. It's, it's been a fun thing to see, and, and I guess by way of introduction, I want to talk about my experience of you first from afar and then up close, and this dates back to your time at Stanford, uh, where you were the epic two-way player, uh, the offense, defense, the person who did it all. And you can see that on TV to an extent. You know, I can see it uh, staying up late. You know, you guys out in California, you start your games late for us on the East Coast, but there are people you stay up for to watch, and you were one of those players. But I, I got to see you up close covering you at the Final Four, and you get to see the difference. You get to see what it means for somebody who doesn't take a playoff. Somebody who plays for Cara and does it in that way. I'm wondering, did you come to Stanford that way, or is that something you learned at Stanford? Mm-hmm. Now, when you talk about the way your game has translated to the pros, I think it's worth framing a couple of things. And one is, if you dive into the numbers, you have gotten better every single season. And it doesn't matter which number you use. If you go by, and, and forgive my, my statistical nerddom, but it's one of the ways I look, look at the game. I mean, I, I see it as your true shooting percentage keeps going up. Your steal percentage keeps going up, reflecting, you know, the ability to be able to get into passing lanes and do what is necessary. You know, you're playing with Minnesota last year for the bulk of it. I know Cheryl charts deflections, and I know that is a significant part of the game you do. You talk about timing block shots. You are not one of the big bigs in this league, but your block percentage is consistently, A, going up, and B, among the very best. You are at 4.7%. Uh, in Indiana in 2019. My question for you is, how do you manage to separate your individual game and skills and improving those with the fact that A, your teams have team changed a couple of times here, but also the fact that you have to hone your game differently when you're playing here and when you're playing overseas? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you're not really missing any shots overseas this year. I do just have to shout that out. You're, you're shooting 67.5% from the field. I, I, do you feel like you've reached another level offensively, even beyond where you were, let's say, at the end of the wobble this past summer? hmm So let's talk about that comfort and translating it back. Now, you and, – and this is a quote from a piece you wrote for me, actually, uh, at High Post 2, which, which is a real badge of honor for me as far as I'm concerned. You wrote, I have dreamed of singing in front of thousands of people, which you did with Carrie Underwood, which is something not many people have experienced. But I also have dreamed of being a WNBA champion and an all-star. So as you looked into what was free agency in a new way for you this year, you know, in a new way for a lot of people this year, I'm wondering what were the ways in which you framed the way you thought about it and the way you were talking to teams? What were you looking to hear from teams who you were talking to? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm hmm. No question. When your sister, Delona Bonner, went through free agency, did that help? Did that serve as a model in some ways? I know you guys are at different points in your careers, obviously, but was that a useful thing and did it in any way change the way you thought about all this? Sure. if it, if it's a, a an unbalanced schedule you guys will even get a chance to see uh, see each other a little more being in the same conference and, and I, I'm always amused you, you know you seem to have a good amount of fun with people on Twitter who don't know that you guys are sisters and try and <laughs> tell you how good she is or vice versa which I, I really did a kick out of but you know to your point about Getting better and playing for Mike, you know, it's hard to look at this D.C. team and not think there's a real opportunity to be, if not just the champion, a chance to be as dominant, if not more so than they even were in 2019. You know, How much do you feel like that plays a role in your thinking uh, about what 2021 could be for you? Mm-hmm. But it's positionless is the other part of it. I mean, all of that is true. But so many of the players you're talking about, and and to me, that feels like a particularly specific good fit for you and the game that you play. Is that something that is appealing as well, just systemically? Mm-hmm. (laughs) but here's the other part of this that I keep thinking about and I keep going back to for you to get an opportunity to play regularly is something based on what you accomplished at Stanford, the type of player that you are. It would make a lot of sense. There are just so few opportunities in a league where there are 12 teams total and there are not even necessarily 12 players per team based on how the cap works out. So you end up with somewhere between 135 and 140 players, but you're talking about under a hundred regular rotation spots on a regular basis. To, from my view, it looks as if the talent is so significant in this, <clears throat> in this sport that having only 12 teams is really doing a disservice to a lot of people who are coming into the league. And I, to me, If we got to a point where the league had 20 teams or 24 teams, I don't think you would see a lack of professional talent. I think quite the contrary. I think you'd see more people get that opportunity. I just, I wonder, and and there are other aspects to it too, and Kathy Engelbert has talked to me about this among others, that you have to expand when there's an ownership group in place. You have to expand when it's going to make sense financially. You want to grow uh, in a sustainable way but just from a talent perspective how big should this lead be mhm Yeah. You you think you're making the argument that a player who can play the three four five can overcome COVID and hit 67 percent of her shots des- uh, deserves a regular opportunity? Yeah, I I, I could see that. I, I it just it's so true though. I mean, it's in two ways, right? Players like you who deserve more of an opportunity to play regularly, and then there are players, and and you've seen. I know you've played with them. I know you you know that don't even get the chance to play professionally simply because they go into coaching because there's a a limited number of roster spots here, and going overseas is, as you know, a real challenge. And so we end up seeing, you know, there's this huge talent pipeline that keeps pumping faster and faster, but we're not getting to see as many of those players the way on the men's side. It's not just 15 per roster and 30, uh, 30 rosters in the NBA, but you've got an entire G League. Of almost an entire 30 more teams who can make a living doing it right here. It, it, it has to change. Yeah, four. All right, I'll accept four. We'll start with four, but yes, we need to, we need, we need fully quality. We need to get to, yeah. what? <laughs> I'm one thousand percent. There needs to be one in the Bay Area. We need that yesterday. I am with you. Even even though those games will also be played Pacific Standard Time and I'll have to stay up. I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to make that make that that march. So when you talk about your role in this league, I, the thing that when your name comes up in conversations, I have, it's always positively. There's always people have someone have something nice to say. You know, coach T and Cheryl and everyone along the way. The flip side of what we just talked about is when there's a short, a uh, f- uh, small number of roster spots, how much is building relationships important to building a career? And that, how significant uh, is that in your thinking as you've moved forward in this professional world? Mm-hmm. Who, who are you most excited to meet? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, it's going to it's going to be fascinating to see. And and just in fairness, I believe when Mike uh, made the trade for Elena Deladon originally, he squealed as well. So I wouldn't you know I, I I wouldn't think twice about that. I know he was awfully excited. So let's talk about speaking of trades. There's been a remarkable amount of action, and I just kind of want to. Set the scene if I could, uh, a little bit because I, I, have done this for, uh, for a while now. And the thing I have worked hard on, uh, and pushed in a lot of different areas is to encourage more and more reporting, whether that's, uh, you know, I work to put out salary, uh, numbers on a regular basis, not because of any interest in invading privacy, but simply because you can't really cover what a team can do otherwise without having that context of what salaries are being paid to whom and what open slots are available. You know, all the basic things that we take for granted in MLB and in the NBA and, you know, in men's sports for a very long time. But then in addition to it, when these stories come out as, as breaking news, Rather than waiting until there's a press release at the you know the very end of a process, it amplifies it over and over and over again. Uh, player X is talking to Team Y, Player X is talking to Team Z. they are zeroing in on a decision. You know when we think about that four percent number that gets thrown around, well a lot of that twenty four to one for men over women comes from you didn't have how many stories were there about Trevor Bauer before he signed with the Dodgers? You know and so. From that perspective, it struck me as a huge win. But I also would point out the following. There were players in the league who you could tell didn't like the fact that people were asking about them. People were asking after what they were doing. And and there was a certain feeling of like, you know, well, what about my privacy? And so I guess I just wonder as a player, you you and I have talked about this stuff, you know, off, off the air a million times. Like, you get it. But I just wonder, like, where do you think the league is as a whole and on the player side as far as this goes? And, and you know, what did you make of uh, the level of coverage overall? <laughs> yes, I love that. Sure, I love it. Steph, Steph is one of my favorites too, and 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 again. Yeah, I I mean, it does go back to that. Like, I, I haven't really slept in the past two weeks, but it's the best kind of not sleeping, you know. And just to be able to see this, be able to understand that the WNBA, and I can tell you from the media side, from established media outlets where I was trying to push and continue to try and push to do more, to do better where I would hear, you know, well, the W isn't a full-year 24-7, 365 enterprise. And that's why I started the next, um, you know, and high-post tubes before it was because it very much is a 24-7, 365 enterprise, and we're going to prove it every single day. And so to be able to see this, you know, it matters because the attention on the lead drives revenue, and the more that revenue is driven, the more, I mean, you guys need to hit a revenue target in order to get a 50-50 revenue share. Uh, And and should. And so the more revenue that's driven to this lead, the faster that there is money that's poured into it and the faster we bring about equality uh, that goes along with it. And it's an interesting thing for a a media member because I'm not I'm not here to be a booster. Right. I'm not here to be public relations, but I am here because I believe in the mission and I believe that covering it the way men's sports is covered. Is the way that we bring about real social change. So it's, it's gratifying to hear you say it. I guess is what I'm trying to tell you. And I'm glad you're enjoying it as much as you are. I, I also, I, I also think just when it comes to 2021, you're going to have an opportunity, obviously, to play in front of uh, an often sold out arena. You're going to be in front of D.C. fans that really showed up in 2019. It's it's a different experience than obviously, um, you know, some of the time in Indiana and then all of 2020 where you're not playing in front of fans. How much did you miss that here? I understand overseas is a different story. But how much did you miss that here in the United States being able to do this, in you know, in, in, in your home country? yeah Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I, I suspect uh, looking at that roster that there won't be a lot of losing by 40 in your future playing in DC but uh, I look forward to every bit of it I look forward to getting back in arena myself no, no offense to zoom uh, press interviews but There's something about doing it in person uh, that's certainly very different. Um, Eric and Paul, it is always a delight. It is always a pleasure. And I look forward to our paths crossing every time it happens. So thank you for taking the time.